The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. We talked about Christmas, all right? And we've been talking about Christmas for a while. It's a time of celebration. It's a time of thanksgiving. It's a time of reflection. And so you look back at your year, right? And you look back and you think of all the good things God has done for you. You think of his grace and you think of, of all kinds of wonderful things, right? And so you sit around the table on Christmas Day or, or whenever, Christmas Christmas Eve, and you sit there and you and you, you talk about the things that you're thankful for this previous year and, and all God's done for you. But in the same time, when, when you reflect on the past, it's good and it also can be not so good, right? Like, like there are good things you want to remember, and then there are things that you don't. And as I look back at 2011, there's some amazing things that happened in 2011, not just for me personally, but for our nation and even in our world. But at the same time, as I look back at 2011, there's some things I wish that I didn't see. And let me just give you some of those things. Um, 32 billion people in 2011 uh, were in uh, were, were uh, a part of human trafficking. 32 billion people. 80% of trafficking victims are women and girls. 50% of trafficking victims are minors. They're underage girls. More than 1 million children were exploited in the global commercial sex trade in 2011. One million children. More slaves are alive now than any other time in history. 27 million people are held in slavery, 200,000 in the U.S. alone. And, and let me say this real quick. Um, you know what's full of them? Pornography. So let me say this to the men in the room. If you think, you know, what I look at on my computer is between me and my computer is not hurting anybody, it absolutely is. Porn is full of these children. 13 is the average age of entry into pornography and prostitution in the United States. 13 in the United States. 17.2 million households, 14.5% of households, approximately one in seven, were food insecure in the United States. The highest number ever recorded in U.S. history. So that means 17.2 million households didn't know where their next meal was coming from. We also see um, in, in nature, even this past year, uh, tornadoes, 522 U.S. deaths, which is the second all-time this year in 2011. 160 were just in Joplin, Missouri, which you see there behind me. In hurricanes, 114 people perished in hurricanes and earthquakes. 16,947 people were killed in earthquakes. The Mississippi River flooded, of course you remember that, and it caused two, between two to four billion dollars worth of damage. New Year's is all about new beginnings. It's all about looking forward. It's all about, you know, what's next for us. But when you look back and you see some of these things, you think it's, what's the point of looking forward, right? Like, well, like, like, like it, it seems hopeless, right? Like, I've looked at the past. This isn't good, okay? This, this, is, this is really, really bad. And, and, and it seems like everything's broken. So why even look forward? Like, like, what is our hope? And this morning, I'm here to tell you that our hope is this. Jesus is making all things new. He's making all things new. 
If you don't have a Bible, you're going to need one this morning, as you will every week. And so there's some Bibles underneath the, the chairs if you'd like to grab those. Um, or if you have a smartphone or, or a tablet or anything like that, you can go to the App Store, search um, Bible. Usually the first one to pull up is Holy Bible, and you'll see it's it's put out by you version. That's that's who it's that's 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 what we follow along with. That's a really good one to follow along with. But if you if you have a Bible, we're going to turn to to Revelation 21 first. Turn to Revelation 21, and and if you have the little white Bibles in your in your chairs there, that's page 894. Revelation 21, <clears throat> verse 1 through 5. Are you there yet? I can't wait. All right, Revelation 21, verse 1 through 5. I like the sound of turning pages. It's pretty neat. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be them as their God, will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Listen to this. And he who was seated on the throne, that's Jesus, said, Behold, I am making all things new. I don't know if there's better news today than to say that. That Jesus is making all things new. So let's start at the beginning then. You say, okay, he's got to make all things new. Why? Let's, let's start at the beginning. Was, was everything always broken? And the reality is, no. Uh, at first, there was, we, I want to look at the goodness of creation. Um, if you look in Genesis and you look at the creation account, it's a poem. It's a beautiful, beautiful poem as we see God uh, uh, creating and forming everything that we see here in front of us. And there's a refrain there. And, and what is it? It's this, and God saw that it was what? Good, thank you, some are awake. And there was evening and there was morning on the whatever day, right? So it was good. When he looked at it, he created it, he, he, he pushed it back, he stepped away, and he said, good. That is good. All is good. But then something happened. Then something messed that goodness up. Uh, we believed, as human beings, we believed that, that we knew better, that, that what God declared good, it wasn't good enough for us. And so, so we rebelled, right? And so I want to look at that, that scripture real quick. It's Genesis 3:17. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. Now listen, husbands. If you don't memorize scripture, what's your problem? What a great line. You know what I mean? Like, like you're, you know, your wife said, I think we should see this movie. Now listen, Angela, I'd love to go see this movie. But can I quote some scripture for you real quick? Because of you, you have listened to the voice of your wife. See, Adam listened to his wife and the world broke. All right? So I'm just saying, maybe we need to go see this war movie instead. Right? So guys, memorize scripture. Don't manipulate it. All right, so here we go. Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. 
Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So creation was given to, it was given to us for us to have dominion over and to work and to keep, to be good stewards of what God had created. And because it was in, it was, it was in our dominion, as we have fallen and we've been broken at our very core, emotionally, physically, spiritually, we've been broken in our very core, then also creation, which was under our dominion at the time of our rebellion, has been broken as well. It's absolutely broken. Was it good? Yes. Is it good? Yes. But now, unfortunately, that goodness is broken. So I want to look at the brokenness of creation. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and if you have the little white Bible, page 809, page 809, Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. Are you there yet? Come on. All right, Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. So listen to this. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so not only do we as believers long for the day to be united with Christ, to be forever changed and to be and, and, and to be ultimately in his presence forever, uh, the the earth feels the same way. All right? The earth feels it says all of creation is groaning for this. All of creation is waiting for this because it was subjected to futility not of its own decision but because of us, because of what we've done. And so we see that creation is broken. It's broken and it's waiting for its newness, right? And so, and so let's look real quick at the hope of the new creation. If you're still there in, in Romans chapter 8, uh, look at verse 22 through 25. That's where we're going to be. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we, eager, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is, that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so this is obviously talking about a future hope, right? This is talking about a hope of a new creation that, that God is going to make all things new. He's going to make them all new. He's going, to, he's going to change everything, right? And so that's our hope, that one day we'll be reunited with Christ. I, I hope it's today. But will be reunited with Christ, whether he comes for us or whether, or, or whether we die in this life, but we'll be reunited with Christ. He'll make all things new in us, and then he will bring with him here a new heaven and a new earth and make all things new. And so this is our hope of the new creation. And check out this new creation in Revelation 21, verse 3. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is where? With 
man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And so what it's saying is that God will be at the center of this world, and the way that this world operates, it won't even be the same. He's going to change the way that the world thinks. He's going to change the way that it operates. It won't spin on its axis around itself. It will spin on its axis around God. Do you you understand? He's changing everything about this new creation. Instead, the way our world works today, it's motivated by greed, and it's motivated by selfishness and pride and sin. Instead, the new world we'll live in, the new creation we'll be a part of, will be motivated by the Lord Jesus Christ. It'll be motivated by the love of God. It will revolve around Him and His very presence. Do you understand? This new creation, the hope of this new creation is is unbelievable. It's an amazing gift. And you say, Grant, that's fantastic, and I can't wait. I just can't wait. You don't know what it's like for me when I go home. You don't know what it's like for me when I leave this place. You don't know where I'm going. You don't know what I'm facing. I can't wait for this new creation. I can't wait for him to make all things new because I can't live like this anymore. And here's the reality. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait because he's giving us a joy in the fact that we are being made new now. We're being made new now. We don't have to wait for that day when we see him. He's making us new now. Check this out. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If a lot of people think that when they come to Jesus, he'll help me get my act together, right? Like, like, like he'll, he'll make me that responsible person. He'll make me that He'll make me that person who, um, who, who'll do better in this area of my life. But here's the reality. Jesus didn't come to fix you. Jesus came to make you new. And so this is what the Bible says. It says that as we trust him and as we follow him, he's making you brand new. Do you understand what that means? That your old life, the sin that used to rule over you, it can't anymore because you're a new creation. Do you understand what that means? You don't carry around the scars of your sin, your past sin before, because you don't even have the same skin. You're a new creation, a new creature. The way you used to think and the things that used to motivate you, they can't anymore because you're a new creature, a new mind, a new way of thinking. All things are new. I got to talk to the the students last night. We counted down to midnight, of course, and everybody freaked out and, and you know, whatever. It's what you do. I, I, don't, I don't know why, but that's okay. So anyway, so we we're like, yay, 2012's here, and uh, enjoy it, because according to the minds, it's your last one. So uh, we, we were, you know, like, yay, 2012. And then I got to talk to them, and, and you know, um, like, I like to tell stories, and, and, and I like to make people laugh, and, and, and I like to connect with people on, on stuff like that. And, you know, when I, I stood before the students and I said, you know, honestly, you know what I was thinking about? I was thinking, I knew I had this time to stand with you, and I knew I had this time to speak to you, and my mind immediately went to that. Immediately went to, like, what funny story can I tell them and relate to Jesus, you know? And I started to think, like, that's super, it's, it's, it's not real. Like, that's not, that seems so 
hokey and it seems so cheap. And so here's what I told them last night. I said, um, in 2011, I chose to follow Jesus. Every day, I chose to follow him. I said, today, I'm yours again. Today, I'm yours again. I said, in 2012, Lord willing, I'm going to continue that. And here's why. Because we talk about on January 1st, we got a new beginning, right? You know what I mean? Like, like January 1st, is, it's all new, right? Like, like uh, everything's, everything's forgiven. It's brand new. We start over. You know what I mean? My diet that didn't work last year is working this year. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it's all new. And so what if I make a resolution and I say, all right, in 2012, here we go. It's midnight. Bam. Um, everything's new. In 2012, um, I'm not, I'm not going to put a single thing on credit cards, right? 2012 new for me. I'm Dave Ramsey-ing it. I'm carrying cash all the time, right? And so I'm not, I'm not going to put a single thing on a credit card. What happens January 2nd when, uh, when, when you, your, you know, your spouse or you yourself um, hit a curb and all your tires pop and you buy new tires on a credit card? What do you do? Well, I messed up this year. I'm not the type of person I thought I was. Oh, well, 2013, here's hoping we have one, right? Like, I'll start over January 1st. Or, or you say, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of been a jerk to this person. I'm not going to do that in 2012. I'm really going to show them love this year, whatever. What happens on January, uh, uh, January 2nd, you go to work, and, and they say, looks like somebody has a case of the Mondays, and you smack them in the face. What happens, right? What happens when you fail, right? You just got to look, you got to look again. I, I hope we make it to 2013. I hope the Mayans were wrong, right? And so you think like, like that's all I got. Like that's, that's my new beginning and I messed it up. Here's, here's why I'm following Jesus in 2012. is because he's making me new and he's not making me new um, just on January 1st. He's making me new every single day. And here's what the Bible says in Lamentations. That's a book. It really is. Here's what the Bible says is that his mercies for you are new every morning. So here's the reality, is that as I choose to follow Jesus, and, and every day when I come to him with my weaknesses, he's not saying, hey, you know what you said you'd do yesterday and you didn't do? You're such a fool. You're such a loser. You're such a failure. And does he have every right to say that? Yes, but he doesn't. What does he do? He says, my mercy for you is new today, and I'm going to make you new today. The Bible says that we're to approach the throne of grace with confidence to find help in our time of need. Do you know what that means? That means when you have failed, when you're at your weakest, he says, you come to me, you come to my throne, and you come with confidence. You come knowing that I'm going to help you, and I'm going to make you new. That's why I'm following Jesus in 2012. And so we have this, he's making us new now. I long for the day when this world passes away and Jesus brings his kingdom. I long for that day. I hope it's today. Lord Jesus, make it today. I hope that it happens today. But the reality is every single day he's moving in me and he's making me new. And he's not holding my failures of yesterday over my head. He's not holding my failures of an hour ago 10 minutes ago, one minute ago, over my head. He's saying, you come to me, and you come to me with confidence, and I will help you. I'm making you new. 
If you don't hear anything else, hear that today. As followers of Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you're new. You're not fixed. God didn't duct tape you. He made you new. So here's what I want to do with the remaining time we have. I want us to look at what does it mean to be new? Well, what, what, is, what, is that, what does that mean to be this new creation? So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, a, a verse you're probably really familiar with. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to page 836. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Are you there yet? Would you guys make a resolution to turn faster in 2012? All right. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Let's break this, this verse down together today, and, and hopefully God will give us a new understanding of what it means to be that new creation in Christ Jesus. So check this out. We are his workmanship. That word workmanship, um, I looked it up. In, in, in the Greek, and what it literally means, it means, it means formed is the word that it uses, formed. I, I love this idea. I, I love this picture because it could say that, that you, you are a product of God is what it could say. It could say like, you are something God made. You're a product of God. But it doesn't say that. It doesn't give you that assembly line thinking, right? It says you are formed by God. It's an intimate thing. It's a, it's a knowing thing, right? He knows what he's doing, and he's intimate. He's forming you. You are his workmanship. You are his masterpiece in Christ Jesus. And so this isn't referring to you physically. I know some of you might look at me and say, that's got to be his masterpiece. No, all right? It's not talking about you physically. It's talking about you spiritually. So you, we are his workmanship created what? In Christ Jesus. Does that mean that you cease to exist before Christ Jesus? Well, no. I mean, you didn't cease to exist before you followed Jesus, right? So, so it's saying that, that spiritually you're being formed. You're, you're his workmanship. You're his masterpiece. You're what he's working on in Christ Jesus. You're that new creation that he's making. Why? Check this out. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. What? For good works. Let me be clear about something today. I don't, I don't want you to walk out of here confused. Let me be clear about something. You were saved to good works, not because of good works. You hear me on that one? You were saved to good works. You were saved to, to enable you to do good works. You weren't saved because of your good works. And, and if you don't believe me, look up two verses. All right, here we go. Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of what? Of works, so that no one may boast. So he's saying, it's not about you. If it was about what you could do for God, if it was about your works, then what? You could brag, and you rightfully so would deserve the credit. You would deserve the glory of God, right? But you didn't. It's not because of your works. It's because of his works, right? So he receives all the glory. It's all about him, right? And so you're, you were saved to good works, not because of good works. And it makes sense because you couldn't do good works before Jesus. Let, let, me, let me give you this quote I heard this week. It says, 
It's impossible for the righteousness of God to come out of a man before it has entered him through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's impossible to put out what you haven't taken in, right? So it's saying if the righteousness of God hasn't entered you because of faith, then how can it possibly come out of you in your works? And so uh, I want to say this, though. You say, well, like, well, then, you know, so God can only accomplish his work through people he's poured in. No, God is sovereign and God is, God can use anything for his glory and works all things together for good, right? Like I think about this, um, uh, think about Bethlehem and think about um, uh, 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 Mary and Joseph coming to Bethlehem and Jesus being born. That fulfilled prophecy. That, that was part of God's plan, right? What got them there? Taxes. An evil ruler using taxes. If it weren't for taxes, there'd be no Bethlehem. Do you understand? So God used an evil ruler to seek out taxes, which are evil, and, call, and, and used it for his plan, right? Right? So in the same way, like, like God can absolutely use your acts, your works before Christ, which are not righteous because you can't perform righteous acts without the Holy Spirit. But God can use them for his plan because God's God and God's sovereign and he's in control. So these good works come as a result of faith and not vice versa. I want to show you a a, a verse real quick, or a couple of verses in James chapter 2. You can flip over if you want, but I'm just going to kind of run through these real quick. It's page 870 if you want to follow along, but I'm going to kind of run through these verses pretty quick. James chapter 2, beginning verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So he's showing there's a connection. There's a connection. True faith has, has works, right? So he's saying there's a connection between the two. He says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So what he's saying is that, like, you have a head knowledge of God. You're saying, like, yeah, I believe he is who he says he is. Yeah, sure, I believe he did what he said he did on the cross, right? So he's saying, like, you're sitting back, and, and really what he's saying here, who he's talking to are the people who come in, they sit in church, they punch their clock, right? Like, like they, that's just what they do. They come, and they just sit here, and they listen about Jesus. They might hum a song about Jesus, right? But their, their faith ends there. It's all about, it's a spectator sport. It's what Christianity is to them. And so he's saying, you're just like the demons. The demons know who Jesus is, and they shudder at his name. They respect him in that sense enough. They have sense enough in their brain to fear him in that way, the same way that you do, right? So what makes you any different than the demons, right? So he's saying, that's a head knowledge that's not true, um, uh, that's not true trust, right? It's like, for example, I know for a fact that, that all of my uh, uh, 90 pounds won't break a bungee cord. I know that with my head. I will never attach myself to a bungee cord, all right? If you ever see that, call the police because someone has done something to me, all right? So in the same way, you might know who God is, but that's it. That's where it ends. So listen to what he says. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that's pretty harsh words, that faith apart from works is useless? So he's saying, Fool, you're foolish if you believe that faith can be devoid of action. 
And check this out. He says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? And so if you don't know that story, Abraham was promised by God that he would have many, many descendants, descendants so much that he couldn't even count. And so Abraham finally has this miracle son, Isaac, right? And so God tells him to go and offer a sacrifice, right? He's, he's going to offer his son uh, as, a, uh, as an offering to God. And so in essence, he, he's thinking like, God is asking me to give up what I care about the most. He's asking me to, to kill my son here, right? But here's the thing. Abraham recognizes and remembers that God has promised that his descendants through Isaac would be just, it would be innumerable, right? They would be like the stars. They'd be like the grains of sand. And so what does he do? He takes his son and he walks, right? And he walks up to the altar. And what happens? They get to the altar. He raises the knife. The, the Lord stops him. And he says, you've proven your faith, right? And what does he find? He finds a ram there for him to sacrifice. God had it planned out all along, right? And so he says, um, Abraham, our father, was justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. And listen to what he says. And you might say, like, what? He's justified by works. It says it right there. Read the next verse, all right? Calm down. Here we go. You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. So faith was active along with his works. So what does that say? It says dead faith or no faith equals no action. Whereas uh, uh, no action equals no real faith. It equals dead faith. So he says faith was completed by his works. That word completed, it literally means there in the Greek accomplished or perfected. And so basically what it's saying is that the next step of faith is action. Works are, are a part of that faith. You're moved by faith. It works alongside your works. You're not saved by your works. You're saved by your faith. But faith inspires that action. I, I heard someone illustrate it one time. It's kind of like a uh, it's kind of like a, a pirate's um, uh, telescope that unfolds. It's like the next step. It's not the completion, right? Like as it, it goes out one more step and one more step, it's the completion of it. It's the same way with faith and works working together. So what are these good works? Let's define these. What are these good works? Not yet. We'll come back to that. So let's keep going. If you're in Ephesians 2.10, that's where we are. For we are as workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. When did he prepare them? Beforehand. Before what? Before, before was before. Are you, are you following me here? Let me, let's give some context here. Look at Ephesians 1. Go, just look left. All right, look at Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 3. Let me, let me read this to you, and we'll, we'll go back and, and try to understand this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Listen to this. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Salvation belongs to God. It belongs to God alone. If the Holy Spirit had not acted in in your heart and taking you from what the Bible says, death to life, you would not be alive. You would not be a follower of Jesus if God hadn't moved in your heart. A dead man can do nothing for himself. In the same sense, we can do nothing for ourselves in salvation. It's God doing it in 
us. And so here's what it says. It says that he chose, as he chose you in him before when? The foundation of the world. So here's what he's saying. He's saying that before the foundation of the world, God decided that he was going to show his grace to you and reveal who he is to you. When I was six years old and I came to a realization that this Jesus guy is a real deal and I love him, it's it, that that moment, that, that little situation right there was decided when? Before the foundation of the world. God decided that moment would happen. Your moment. Whenever God awoke in you the reality of who he is, that moment was decided to happen before the foundation of the world. So if that's the case, if we're found in Jesus Christ, if he makes that decision to show his grace to us before the foundation of the world, then when were these good works prepared for us? When were they prepared for us? Beforehand. Before was before, before, before. So this is your ultimate purpose, right? If I can speak in Lord of the Rings uh, terminology here, this is your destiny, right? These were prepared for you before the foundations of the world. So what? What does the verse say? So that we may walk in them. That, that word there, walk, what it literally means is conduct your life. To conduct your life. So here's what that means. Here's what that says to me. To walk, in, to walk in good works. To walk in these good works that Christ has prepared for us. It's not, it's not enough to, to get together with the Sunday school class once a month and serve somebody. It's not enough to show up here every single Sunday and keep kids. It's a good thing. Please do it. But it's not enough. He's saying walk in it. You conduct your life in this way. This means that every moment, every interaction you have is defined by this. It's defined by what? Good works. This is your purpose. It's defined by good works. So finally, what are these good works? What are these good works that I was designed for, that, that, that I was made for before the foundations of the world? When I think about it like that, it really becomes epic. And I don't know about you, but like I've never lost that thing when I'm a little kid where I think that everything I do is, is going to be an epic adventure, right? Like, like men, some of you feel me uh, in, in this room, right? Like some of you are with me on that. Like, like we think when we go camping, it's it. I'm going to find the Holy Grail. I don't know why it's in Shelby Forest, but I'm going to find it, right? So, so we think like these good works, they've got to be this, this amazing thing. They've got to be this just epic thing. It's got to be this adventure, right? Like it's got to be. So what is it? What was I prepared for? What was I made for? Was I made to cure cancer, right? Like, like was, it, was I, was I, what was I made for? Was I made to defeat the Nazis? No, you, you missed that boat. But what was I, what was I made for? What, what are these good works? Let me put it to you very simply because I'm simple and we don't have much time. Let me put it to you very simply. God is defined as the only one who is good. And so if God is the definition of good, then good works could be defined as God works. So what does that mean? I'm designed for God works? What does that mean? First John 4, 8 says this. Anyone who does not love does not know God because what? God is love. So then, God's purpose for us in Christ Jesus before the foundations of the world is to what? Walk in love. Walk in His love. Very simply, in all situations, choosing the most loving response in Christ Jesus is what you were made for. 
When you, when you have an interaction with someone, a neighbor, a coworker, or anyone, you were made to choose the most loving response to represent Jesus Christ. You were, you were designed to show the glory of God and the glory of his love in your decisions as you deal with people day in and day out. You were made to walk in love. And you say, now hang on, this doesn't seem very profound. Grant, I was with you until we're here. I thought you were going to give me some sort of like theological, you know, nugget that I can go home and hit people in the head with. I thought you were going to give me something that I could be really proud of and just think, man, this is really intellectual. I never saw this before. You're talking about love? Yes. It's the love of Christ is how God is making all things new. He's making it new through the love that he shows in us into the world. It's through love how God is ending human trafficking. It's through love how God is feeding the hungry. It's through love is how God is clothing the naked, housing the homeless, comforting the hurting, healing marriages, defeating diseases, and saving the lost. It's through love. Love is changing the world. As we walk in the love of Christ, that's how he's making all things new. It's through love. It's through walking in love. The love of God poured out in his followers is a supernatural, unstoppable force. If we would walk in it. I look at the first century church, and every time I go to Acts and I look at the first century church, I just look at me and I go, oh, I'm the worst pastor ever, right? Like, I just think, like, all that they were doing, and it was just unbelievable. And I think, like, like they, they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. They devoted themselves to the love of one another. They sold what they had. They gave to, to, to who had a need. God used the evidence of, of, of their lives being changed to save thousands and thousands and change the world. It's because they lived out love. And you go, and I go, how in the world, like, how did they do that? How can I be like that? Walk in love. It was for love they devoted themselves to the teachings of God. It was for love that they devoted themselves to to one another. It was for love that they sold all that they had and gave to everyone in need. It was for love that they reached out to other people. It's for love. The love of Christ is unstoppable in his people if we will walk in it. I don't know what your 2011 was like. I have no idea. I don't know what you were defined by. If we were to look back at 2011, I don't know know if people were to say he or she walked in this. I don't know what that would be. But I do know this. God is making you new. Today is new. You will be defined by what you do today. So will you choose in 2012 to walk in love and change the world? Help him make all things new. So Christians, stop making resolutions. Stop stop making these, these promises to yourself. Recognize that you are brand new. And choose to walk in the purpose that he had for you before the foundations of the world, which is what? Walk in the love of Christ. Be defined by the love of Christ. As we close, and um, Matt's going to come up, and we're going to sing a song as we go. Um, there's some of you. Um, I talk about being new, and I talk about, I talk about this newness, and you go, I need that so much in my life. 
For some of you, do you know what the qualification for being a new creation is? Did you read it? Did you read with us in Corinthians? Did you see what it said? The only qualification is what? That you're in Christ. That you're in Christ. And, and, and how do we find ourselves in Christ? How do we find ourselves trusting him? It's not by our works. It's by what? We talked about it. Faith. By simply trusting him. Not sitting back and going, yeah, I believe Jesus is who he says he is. But saying, I believe who he says he is, and I'm going to trust him. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to submit to him. I'm going to love him. And so this morning, maybe some of you, January 1st, 2012, might be the, the first day, if I can be cliche, of the rest of your life. It might be your new day. It might be a new day for you. And so if you're in this room and you say, I need that newness. I, I need to be made new in Christ. I, I, I've, been, I've been living for myself. I'm defined by me. I'm not defined by him. I need to follow him. I need to trust him. I need to get off the bench. You know, my knowledge, my faith of Jesus is a head knowledge, just like the demons. I need to trust him with my life. And you can do that today. You can give him your life today. We're going to sing a song. Um, I'll be standing down front, Brother John. I'll be standing down front. And even after we finish the song, we'll have people over here in the side room that you can come and talk to. But we'd love to talk to you more about that. If you want to be made a new creation today, it's simply this. It's simply saying to Jesus, not my way anymore. I'm following you. I trust you. I turn from my sin, and I turn to you. And that's it. Following him, submitting to him, and you can be new. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I, um, I don't know what you have for everyone in this room. I, we're all different, and God, we're coming from a lot of different places. Um, God, for the believers in this room, uh, God, I pray that we would um, recognize, not live a single day defeated this year, but recognize that every day you're making us brand new. You're making us new in you and and so, God, I pray that we would rejoice in that. And I pray, God, we'd find our purpose in that. That, God, you have a purpose for us. So, God, if there are believers in this room, God, that um, they need to commit uh, to you. They need to recommit um, their way of thinking to you, God. They need to recommit um, their, the way they walk, what they walk in in this life to your love, God. That they would do that during this time. They'd be very honest with you. God, if there are people in this room who don't know you, they've never trusted you. Their faith is in themselves, it's not in you. They know about you, yeah, sure, but they've never trusted you. God, my prayer is you'd save them today. My prayer is that they'd come to a place where they accept your forgiveness and they turn from their sin and they ask you to save them. They ask you into their lives and to change them forever. God, I pray that would happen today for your glory. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand with us and sing?